continuing on the chronological life of Jesus, and we are in the parables uh, in, in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. And just to give a background here, we had already covered the uh, unpardonable sin, and the unpardonable sin is exactly what it says it is. It is unpardonable cannot be pardoned. It was for that generation, came on that generation, for the denial of Jesus' Messiahship on grounds of his being demon-possessed. And it's unpardonable, just like the unpardonable sins, even though there was repentance at Kadesh Barnea, and the people said, oh, we're sorry, we'll go into the land now. God said, no, you will wander 40 years in the wilderness. Even though it says that they repented, Still, they had to wander for 40 years. Just like the sin in Manasseh's time. Manasseh repented and it says God forgave him. But still the judgment came. He wasn't reversing that judgment. This is a judgment that wasn't going to be reversed upon that generation. Now some people will say that that, uh, the Jews did not accept Jesus because he did not overthrow the Romans that were over them. And that is not true at all. Had they accepted him, he would have overthrown the Romans after his resurrection. Had they accepted him, he still would have had to die. That was prophesied. He still would have had to die. Because there had to be forgiveness of sins that would only come through his death. But upon his resurrection, he would have started the Messianic Kingdom, which was prophesied in the Old Testament, which we have many, many passages about. As a result of that denial... He starts talking about the kingdom of God, he calls it. And Jesus, in his own words, in in Matthew chapter 13, verse 11, he calls it the mystery kingdom. Um, He calls it the mystery kingdom. And the mystery kingdom, the mystery is something that was not revealed in the Old Testament that is only revealed in the New. That is the mystery kingdom. It is not only the church. You say, well, the church wasn't revealed in the Old Testament, it's revealed in the New. That's true. But... Uh, uh, the Gentiles coming to the Lord. That was revealed in the Old Testament. But what? But this mystery kingdom is bigger than the church. Probably the best word the scholars use for the mystery kingdom is Christendom. The entire movement of Christendom, which contains the church, the believing part, and those who are unbelieving but still would consider themselves Christians or under Christendom. And we see that, we're going to see that in the, in the parables. So Jesus goes through nine parables here. And the parables are given specifically to describe this new mystery kingdom, the kingdom of God. He's describing. We, dis- we discussed the first parable last time. And the first parable was a parable about a sower who went out to sow. And he sowed seed. And it talks about how some seed fell and immediately birds of the air ate them up. This term, birds of the air... These birds are, are, are used even in the Old Testament, meaning messengers of Satan. And they came and ate up the seed before it had root. And Jesus said specifically that is the evil one when he gave his interpretation of that parable. Then he said some seed falls on shallow soil, it grows up, but it has no depth of root and it falls away. But those are people who are definitely saved, regenerated, but they never really grew. There are others that grow but are choked out by the cares of the world. And remember, I warned you last time that that's the place where most people from a class like this end up. 
that when you get the baggage of the world and the baggage of carrying a home and carrying a car payment and children and all these other things, it's very easy to say, well, you know, I'm too busy right now, that just life is too much, really don't have to bother going to church. And I deal with older people all the time, people in their 40s, I deal with all the time, who have not taken church seriously, not taken the life of Christ seriously, and now they're trying to go and backtrack all the destructions that have come in their lives when they're going through divorce, when they're going through their kids going crazy and their kids going through all sorts of problems. And it's clear that the world had choked them out. And Jesus spoke about that in that first parable. And if you keep your finger there in Matthew chapter 13, and the other portion that we'll be jumping to is Mark chapter 4. And in Mark chapter 4, Jesus, this is talking about the parables as well. And he makes reference in Mark chapter 4, verse 13, and he said to them, Do you understand this parable? Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? So the first parable, he said, it's absolutely critical that you understand the first parable, which we covered last time. He gives the explanation in Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 4 verse 14 and onward. He, t- he gives the explanation of the first parable. He gives the same explanation in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew documents the same thing, chapter 13, verse 36, where he discusses what that parable means. Now we're going to move on to, to the other parables. I'm going to skip the second parable because I'm going to come back to that at the end. The second parable is not mentioned in Matthew. It's mentioned only in Mark. But it comes right after that first one. And, and so in, we're going to focus, though, in, in Matthew chapter 13 because Matthew is the most extensive in documenting these nine parables. The next one that we'll discuss is... is uh, 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 is the uh, I'm sorry in, in Matthew chapter 13 verse 18 he ex- had explained the sower parable the next one we're going to discuss is Matthew chapter 13 verse 24 Matthew 13:24. Jesus presented another parable to them saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field but while his men were sleeping his enemies came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away now we're in Matthew 13:26. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. And the slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No. For a while you are gathering up the ta- for while you're gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. So Jesus tells this parable. So remember what this parable is. It's of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Heaven and God are synonymous. We don't say God to a Jew. Matthew is writing to a Jew. We use the term heaven even done to this day. They don't like to see the, the, the word G-O-D written or God written. Their, their, their word Yahweh for that. Uh, it is too holy. Uh, um, and so they, they leave the vowels out of that when they write. So the kingdom of heaven, he says, is going to be like this. It's going to be like a man who planted seed. And he's planted good seed. But the, an enemy came and planted tares It says in verse 25, an enemy came and planted tares among the wheat. So these tares 
look very much like wheat when they're first coming up. Very hard to distinguish the two. You have to wait until they're full grown to easily distinguish between tares and wheat. And so this is why the, 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 the uh, landowner says, no, don't try to pick them out now. Wait until they're fully grown. Then pick them out, throw them into the fire, gather the good ones. And Jesus explains this, this parable as well for them. And that's in verse 36. We see the explanation of this. It says, Then he left the crowds and he went into the house. And the disciples came and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. So you see that Jesus is now speaking in parables. He had never spoken to them in parables before. The Sermon on the Mount was not in parables. Parables only started once the ministry of silence started, which we mentioned last time, which occurred after the, the uh, unpardonable sin. He says it is no longer for them to understand, no longer for the masses to understand. It is only for these individuals, these disciples of mine. You say, well, that's pretty cruel of you, Jesus. Jesus gives light, enormous light to that generation. They made a decision to reject the light multiple times. The light was rejected, and he says there will be no more light for you. It is for the disciples now. If that bothers you about the way that Jesus did it, guess what? He's right, you're wrong. That's something about God. Okay, so, so uh, Jesus gave ample opportunity because he was before them physically. And he did miracles in their presence physically. And he made that decision. So now he explains it. And he says in verse 37, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. And the field is the world. And, for the good, and as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth His angels and will gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun, in the kingdom of their Father, who he who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus explained this parable as well. Those are the only two that he explained, but his disciples understood all the other ones. Uh, he would explain to them in private. Now, if you slip back to Mark chapter 4, you will see that uh, uh, Jesus spoke to them in parables. And, he, he, and, and when he was speaking to them, he would be asking them questions as they went along. If you look in Mark 4.33, with many such parables, he was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. So Jesus stopped speaking to the masses except in parables. But to his disciples, he spoke clearly, and he explained to them things privately. And so you see in, in, uh, uh, in verse 51, go back to Mac, Matthew chapter 13, verse 51, when he finishes the last parable, he says, Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, Yes. So you see that, that uh, they are understanding it. The masses are not. So this is what the kingdom is like. That there, this is why we know that this mystery kingdom isn't just the church. It's Christendom. 
Christendom contains lots and lots of things beyond just the church. Church is part of it. But within Christendom, there are many tares. There are many who don't know God that would claim that they are part of this community. But clearly from their lives, they're very different. And it's interesting, when you see two people, one comes to the Lord, one doesn't, you don't immediately see difference in their lives. But as they grow, and as time progresses on, you start to see a greater and greater difference so that you can really separate this person knows the Lord, this one doesn't. It becomes very clear. Because there's attitudes and heart, the heart changes over time as God molds us into His image. And so they become really distinct from one another. Early on, it's, it's, it can be very hard to, to distinguish when someone immediately comes to the Lord. It takes some time. And this is what the mystery kingdom is like. You see what Jesus is doing. He is describing to them a mystery, something that has not been told in the Old Testament. He's describing to them, and we looked at verses in the epistles where, where Paul makes reference to the mystery kingdom. This is what it's for. It wasn't told to the prophets beforehand. Now it's being revealed to them. And he's going over this with them. And we are going to see in these passages, in these parables, we are going to see Christendom and what it is like. Look at, look at the next one, the mustard seed in verse 31. He presented to them another parable, saying to them, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in the field. And this is smaller than all other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. So the mustard seed is the smallest seed in that region. It's not the smallest seed in the world. That's just relative to where he was. He says, this small seed, you normally plant it and you get this mustard bush. It doesn't grow that large. It is a bush of mustard. He says, in this case, the mystery kingdom, this little seed of what's starting here today, is going to grow so big, that birds are even going to nest in its branches. Well, we saw what Jesus described as birds in the first parable. These birds of the air came and ate it up. These were messengers of Satan. We know birds of the air was an Old Testament that was also talked about messengers of Satan. It is different than the sparrow that Jesus talked about when he talked about this. The birds of the air. This Christendom is going to come so large Larger than normal. It's going to become a monstrosity where there's going to be even satanic elements within Christendom. He's warning us about this. This is with the warning. The leaven. And he, took, and he spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. Now the interpretations that I'm giving you on these parables that Jesus didn't explain are not just Jim Tour's interpretations. I wouldn't do that to you because they may get it wrong. I've checked what are the interpretations that scholars have come up with through years and years of study and com- comparison. And I'm giving you the messianic interpretation of these, the, the, these parables. This parable, leaven in every passage of Scripture has spoken of sin. Leaven has spoken of sin. Woman in the New Testament, uh, uh, we have Jezebel. We have the great harlot, both of them in the, in the book of, uh, of Revelation. It is always spoken of false doctrine. You may say, well, that's offensive to me. Too bad, get over it. God uses men in certain ways for, for parables. So, so, so just let, let, let all, all the things that might offend you go away, okay? So he's taking this and he's using analogies here as he gives this parable. 
And he says, there is going to be leaven, sin, and all three branches of Christendom that are going to come forward, where you have Catholicism, you have Greek Orthodox, Catholicism, Eastern Orthodox, and Protestantism. You're going to have heresies in each one of them. There's going to be sin in each one of them. So if you think that you have it right, and your little community has it right, you're wrong. I mean, there, is, there, there are things that are messed up in every community. There's problems in all churches. All of these are going to be present in white, what might otherwise be a fine loaf of bread. Then he goes on, he tells another parable. <clears throat> the parable of, <clears throat> of the hidden treasure. This is in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like the treasure hidden, like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, nobody has ever given everything that they had for another, except Jesus. This treasure, the treasure in the Old Testament, constantly meant the Jewish people. God, many references in the Old Testament to the treasure. There is going to be a believing remnant that is going to come out of the Jewish nation. There was, there was rejection at large, but remember, individuals were saved out of that generation. Individuals could be saved out. Paul was saved out of that generation that, that uh, uh, was under the unpardonable sin. That was for that generation at large. So you see that in the hidden treasure, it says that there is this treasure. There will be a remnant of Jews that will be saved out. The costly pearl. That's the next one in verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and he sold all that he had and bought it. Again, only Jesus gave everything that he had for another. Who are the pearls? Well, there's no direct reference to pearls in the Old Testament, but it says the Gentiles, it related to them the great, the, the salt sea. And if we say pearls come from the salt sea, and it would be natural right after speaking about the Jews, he references the Gentiles now. And he says that there are going to be Gentiles that are going to come in. Jesus went and he, he's going to grab a remnant. There's going to be a remnant of the Jews. There's going to be Gentiles in this new kingdom. The dragnet. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering, gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it upon the beach. And they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous, and will throw them into the furnace of the fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So he says, again, the salt sea, this net is going to go in, and the majority of people that are going to come are not this remnant from the Jews. The majority of the people that are going to come are from the salt sea, among the Gentiles. But among the Gentiles, in this big kingdom of Christendom, there's going to be believers and there's going to be unbelievers. And they will be sorted out at the end. He's using terminology that John the Baptist used. And they are going to be sorted out. Some are going to be burned. Some are going to be cast out. Others are going to come in. So within Christendom, there are people who are very much saved and there are people who are not. Uh, the church is supposed to be this saved portion, this portion that's really seeking God. That's how one becomes a part of this church, which is under this overall umbrella of Christendom. He's describing to us the larger kingdom. To say that the church is the mystery kingdom, just the church, would make no sense. Because if you're saved and in the church, you're not going to be cast out. 
And, and uh, the last one in this portion <clears throat> is in verse 52. Therefore, every scribe who becomes a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out his treasure, things new and old. So he says, therefore, every scribe who has become the disciple of, a, a disciple of the kingdom of heaven, every scribe, scribe from that period was one who really knew the Old Testament. One who really knew, and in fact, many of them had the whole Old Testament memorized. You say, that's impossible. It is not. There are people today who have the entire Old Testament memorized in Israel. So the scribes were these experts of the law, experts of the Mosaic law. He says, every scribe who becomes a disciple of the kingdom of heaven. So in other words, when these Jewish experts, among them, every scribe of them, who becomes into this kingdom of heaven, is going to be like the head of a household who brings, who brings out of his treasure things new and old. So they're going to have such a wealth. To know the Old Testament is a tremendous advantage, Jesus said. And he relates them to the head of a household. Who's the head of a household? A father. A father is supposed to be bringing just information out and sharing that with a family. This is supposed to come. He's going to be like the head of a household. This is what it's going to be. Now, the last, the, the last parable I want to share is, in, in, is referenced only in Mark. So let's turn over to Mark chapter 4. Because I want to spend a little time on this. Because this is the one that is, is so meaningful to me in so many ways. And I think that, that, that you'll, you'll, you'll see the same sort of thing. This is really the second of the nine parables that Jesus shared but Matthew never referenced it, only Mark did. And it's the parable of the seed. This is in Mark chapter 4, verse 26. The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and he gets up by day. And the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, and then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. You know, this is just an amazing verse because, you know, I go around and I share scriptures and I share, I share uh, testimonies with people. And I am amazed because people get saved. So, what I do is I go into a little group and I share my testimony. And within my testimony, I will always tell the three fundamentals. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Of first importance means the things that are most important. What does Paul consider the most important things concerning the gospel? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he tells us what are the most important things. It is three things. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul said that is the most important thing. If you want to share your testimony and have somebody come to the Lord, don't forget about Jesus dying being buried and being raised from the dead because they will probably never get saved until they hear that part. 
And if you think, well, you know, I'll, I'll talk about the resurrection when they're more mature. Uh-uh. Won't happen. Won't work. Because the Bible says that we have to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that He has been raised from the dead in order to be saved. So they cannot get saved without belief that He's risen from the dead. So I go through these slides, and I'll go through these slides with a bunch of students who walk in, and this generally happens of late with groups of Chinese students. So I get invited into these groups of uh, Chinese students, to, um, hundreds of Chinese high school students, I get invited to speak to them every year. Not just in one meeting, in multiple meetings. And I go through my testimony, but in showing my testimony, I talk about how I was confronted with the fact that I was a sinner. Jesus died for my sins, and I will go through the verses that talk about this. He was buried, and then Jesus rose from the dead for my sins. And guess what happens? In one meeting, 10, 12, 15, 20 people get saved. I have no idea. I just share that Jesus died for our sins. He was buried, and He was rose from the dead. And people get saved. It's the most amazing thing. Go figure, they get saved. How from that simple little testimony? You plant a seed in the ground, how it grew, I have no idea. I have no idea how this happened. How could you share something as incredulous, as unbelievable as a physical resurrection? What thinking human being would ever believe in a physical resurrection if it were not for the fact that God places it within the hearts of people to believe it? Don't you see that this is an amazing testimony? God has done this. This is truth. This word is so simple, yet so profound. This is what he said. It's like a man, he plants something in the ground. And then all of a sudden, you start seeing this thing grow. You have no idea. Still, as a scientist to this day, I understand something about genetics. I understand something about molecular interaction. I still don't understand how a seed grows. It's really just amazing that packed in this little thing is all this information. You have these genes that cause this thing to do it. And to say, oh, yeah, we understand that. I mean, if you understand it, you have to say that this is remarkable. That you can take seeds that have been sitting in ancient Egypt in a pyramid, and they take this seed out and they plant it, and it grows. After thousands and thousands of years, it is like that. To understand, to, to really appreciate how you have molecular interactions that allow a human being to grow is just extraordinary. And if you think that, oh, scientists, they understand all of this, they don't. Guess what? They don't. If they say they understand it all, they lie. If anybody should understand this, it is me. And I don't understand all of this. It is just amazing. He says the kingdom of God is like this. You plant the seed, and these young people start to grow. And they start getting excited about Jesus, and they start talking about Jesus. And they, all of a sudden, a couple of years later, I will take these people that got saved from a little gathering like that, and I will bring them with me to help me share at these other gatherings. And then they're out there sharing with these new people that are coming to the Lord. How? I don't know. This is what the kingdom of God is like. This is this miracle. When you plant a seed, and that seed grows. But the simple message is this. It is this age-old message which never grows, goes bad. Never goes bad, and there is no other way. 
You can try to have philosophies and talk about church history and talk about all of these things that go on. Nobody's getting saved. Everybody's glassy-eyed. Jesus died for our sins because we are sinners in need of salvation. He was buried and He rose from the dead. And guess what? People get saved. All your philosophies, all you're trying to figure out how to do this doesn't work. The simple message of Paul says, what is the most important thing is that Christ has died for our sins. I am a sinner. He died for me. A person must recognize that they are sinners. Jesus died for their sins. He gives them this free gift. And He rose from the dead. And you must believe in that resurrection. Guess what? All these people say, they believe. They believe. The last group I did was 45 students. Something like 42 of the 45, after they heard me speak, filled out a little card that they wanted to know more about Jesus. 42 out of 45. Why would they want to know more about Jesus? There are all these high school kids from communist families in in, in China because they're the only ones that can afford to send their kids on this summer thing for a month to go around the United States. And guess what? They happen to stop in Houston and hear another message en route. And then of that group, something like a dozen or 16 got saved of those 42 that wanted to know more. And that was one of just three different gatherings I did just a few weeks ago. This happens every year. What's happening? It's this seed that is placed. Something happens with this simple message. I I was leaving one day and the lady said, I just love to hear you give this message. I said, it's not my message. It's not my, it's, it's not my story. I'm just telling the same story over and over and over again. He said, you use the same story every year. That's the only story I got. That's it. That's the only story I have. No other story works. Go, do away with your philosophies. Do away with all your, 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 your thinking about how you're going to strategize to share your faith with this person. You talk about... Jesus dying for our sins, raising from the dead, and believing in that. And all of a sudden, you'd be surprised. I can believe that. I can believe that. I sat with a professor one day, and uh, uh, I said, do you believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? He said, I I can't believe that. We We just undergo a phase change when we die. And this guy was just... You know, a couple of years later, he got so old, he was very near to his death. He was driving a little cart around the university. I said, we've got to have lunch together again. We had lunch, and I talked about the resurrection again with him. And he said to me, I believe it. I believe it. And about two weeks later, he died. I mean, this happens. This happens. This message works with little kids, works with old people. This message. And you will see growth, and it's inexplicable. You can't explain it. So all of a sudden, you just plant this seed. After this, I don't have to do much at all. You say, go, go to the church. You know, you, and all of a sudden, they start growing and they start getting excited about the Lord. I don't understand it. This is what he's talking about. He says, within this kingdom of God, this is what you're going to see happen. People in whom there was no life, all of a sudden, life will be birthed. And you will not be able to explain it. This is the message that we have. Never forget this message. It is better than any message. I woke up this morning, I told Shun, I said, I, I can't imagine how miserable it would be to wake up in the morning 
without knowing God, without knowing Jesus. He is so good to me. So good to me. He watches out over every aspect of my life, of my kids' lives, and the doors He opens for me, the doors He opens for my kids. God does this. God does this. And to think of all these poor people that have to wake up without Him, that have to wake up in their marriages without Him. This word that we have sets people free. I would love to see this word deposited in the hearts of people. And then I was just thinking through different people in my life how miserable it must be. Because, you know, especially when a person is, is inherently not, not very giving and selfish and things, that you have to live with that person for the rest of your life and they don't know Jesus. It's got to be hard. But you get the life of God set in them and they are set free. The message that we have is freedom and relationship. And it starts with the death, burial, and resurrection. You get the Word of God in there, and all of a sudden it starts to grow, and it is amazing. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for the Word of God, for You have blessed us richly. Thank You, Lord, that You have described what this kingdom of God is, what the kingdom of God is, Until the Messianic Kingdom is established, we are living in this Kingdom of God. And You have given us a description of it. Father, You have spoken of the evil that will be there, of the evil doctrines that will be there, of the tares among the wheat. You have spoken of this. You have also spoken of the life that comes inexplicably, the life that grows within the heart of human beings that believe that Jesus died for their sins and He rose from the dead. Father, thank You so much for this message, for the truth of the Gospel. Father, I pray that You take these young people and You so work in their hearts, so work in their hearts to cause this life to grow, that it wouldn't just just spring up and, and uh, quickly have no, no, no depth, nor that it would be choked out by the cares and the worries of the world. Father, work in their lives, I pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen.